0: Welcome to Rainbow Puppy Science Lab.
1: It's the world's only lab dedicated exclusively to the study of all things awesome.
0: Every episode, we'll explore a different subject and figure out what makes it great.
1: So goggles on, awesomeologists!
0: This might get messy.
1: But we're about to discover something something awesome. awesome.
0: Hi, and welcome to Rainbow Puppy Science Lab. I'm Atticus.
1: And I'm Kyle. As a parent and teacher, I always want to make sure we're learning.
0: But as a kid, I want to make sure it's always something fun, like this week we're going to talk about
1: video games. If you recall, at the end of last week's episode, we shared two stories and challenged you to try to tell truth from fiction.
0: It's a little game we like to call...
1: Fact or Fake?
0: Here's your first story.
1: Video games like Pong, Super Mario Bros., and Pac-Man are not just for kids. They're fine art. Museums including the Smithsonian American Art Museum and the Museum of Modern Art in New York have exhibited video games as art.
0: Or an entomologist, that's a scientist who studies insects, Created Pokemon as an educational tool to teach kids about taxonomy or naming systems, as well as scientific concepts like evolution.
1: So there you have it. Two totally cool bits of trivia. One of them is an absolutely amazing, totally true fact, but the other is just incredible, meaning it's not credible because we made it up.
0: If you need a moment to think about it, that's Okay. Which seems too good to be true? Pause the show if you need to. We'll be right here when you get back.
1: The time to reveal which is true and which is false. Drum roll, please.
0: Dad, that sounds like game over.
1: It's fine. I'll restart. Now, the true story was that video games are an art form and have been recognized in several museums, including the Smithsonian and MoMA. There are several types of artists involved in video game development, including concept artists, writers, and animators.
0: If you thought Pokemon was developed for educational purposes, you weren't too far off. Satoshi Sajiri, the creator of Pokemon, did collect bugs as a kid, and other kids actually started calling him Dr. Bug. But he was never a professional entomologist. Pokemon was actually developed because Satoshi Tajiri grew up exploring nature and he wanted to create a game that would give city kids that sense of awe and wonder looking at different creatures who created pocket monsters. There are a lot of educational games though. Some popular games like Minecraft are actually used in schools around the world. Some schools require students to play Minecraft as a part of lessons on the environment and managing resources. And kids in a school in England worked with experts from Cambridge University to design a Bronze Age city as a way of learning history.
1: History, eh? Sounds to me like it's time to break out Rainbow Puppy Science Lab's super advanced future technology, the Wayback Machine.
0: Um, Dad...
1: Great. Now how are we going to go back and understand the past?
0: We just need to use the most powerful processor people have ever known, the human mind. Imagine this. It's 1977. A young man named Shigeru Miyamoto was fresh out of college when he landed a job as a toy manufacturer. He wanted to design toys, but he was assigned to design the cases for coin-operated arcade games. He designed the cases for three games, Sheriff, Space Firebird, and Radar Scope. All of them were hits in Japan, and the company decided they would make a big move to break into the American video game market. They assumed... Raider Scope would be a hit in America, just as it had been in Japan. They built 3,000 game cabinets.
1: So what happened?
0: The game was a flop. They sold 1,000, but left them with 2,000 arcade machines, just sitting in a warehouse.
1: Oh, that's not good.
0: No, it was a bad situation for the young company.
1: But what does this have to do with the cabinet designer?
0: Well, Shigeru Miyamoto didn't just design game cabinets. That may have been his first job, but he was a creative person who was always doodling characters on the side. The company was in a tough spot. They could either give up and face major losses or try to convert those unsold game machines into a different video game and try again to make it in America.
1: I'm assuming they decided to try again?
0: Yeah. And with the stakes super high. I mean, they needed to hit or the America branch of the company would be shut down. They put Shigeru Miyamoto in charge of the project.
1: Him? The cabinet designer?
0: Yeah. Miyamoto had never developed a game before. But the senior game developers were all busy with their own projects in Japan and didn't want to go to America for something that seemed likely to fail. Miyamoto saw a great opportunity, though, and he stepped up. Because he wasn't a traditional game developer, he developed his game in a totally different way.
1: Okay, so what did he do?
0: Well, most of the game developers had been focused on action. Shooting, race cars, flying through space, and stuff like that. Miyamoto had been interested in manga and stories. He wanted his game to feel like a comic strip. And he developed characters, which was relatively rare in those days. Who
1: were his characters?
0: Initially, he wanted to make a Popeye game, but he couldn't get the rights. So he developed his own original characters. He took a little inspiration from King Kong with a giant gorilla, and the hero had to rescue the damsel in distress from the gorilla who had captured her.
1: Oh, so that's how we got Mario.
0: Well, sort of. Miyamoto created the game Donkey Kong, which was the hit Nintendo needed. Of course, at that time, the character wasn't called Mario, and he wasn't a plumber. He was called Mr. Video or Jumpman in those early days. He didn't become Mario until one day when the landlord of Nintendo's American offices came in to yell at them about the rent being late. Some of the people at the office said he looked like their character, and they started calling the Jumpman Mario after their landlord. In Donkey Kong, he was a carpenter, but when the Super Mario Brothers game came around, they had an idea for him to travel through pipes, so they decided to turn Mario into a plumber. Some other fun little details. His look came about because in the early days, they had really limited graphics. Jumpman was made on a grid of pixels, and the big nose was more visible. They couldn't get detail of a mouth under his nose, so they gave him a big mustache. They couldn't make the hair look good, so they put a hat on him. And they picked bright colors so people could see him better.
1: So, from there, we got the biggest video game character in history?
0: Yeah. Mario is the biggest video game character ever. He has been in over 200 games. There was a TV show, Super Mario Bros. was the first movie ever to be made on a video game. Although, that one in the 90s was a huge flop. In 2023, they tried it again, focusing on the fun adventure feel of the games, and it has already proven to be a huge hit. Next, my dad is going to tell us what is currently happening with video games
1: today. That's right. His dad is going to... Wait, that's me. I have to give a report? Yep. But I'm the dad. Don't I assign you to do all the work? My lab, my show, my rules. As we talked about before, Shigeru Miyamoto found success because he developed games as an artist, focusing on story and characters. He has described his childhood exploring the mountains, caves, and rice paddies in Japan, and says that he wanted to create games that would give players that sense of adventure and the joy of discovery. At Nintendo, they had programmers who would help Miyamoto execute his vision, but did you know that today anyone can use free tools to program their own games? Computer scientists at MIT developed the world's largest coding community for kids with Scratch. In the 1960s, there was an educational programming language called Logo. In 2007, MIT Media Lab launched Scratch, which was inspired by Logo. They wanted a language that makers all around the world could use to bring their ideas to life. Whether you want to make an animation or a video game, Scratch is for you. Part of what says Scratch apart is the graphic layout. Different snippets of code for all sorts of functions are put on blocks that can be combined like Legos, allowing users to build a sequence as big as they want to do whatever they imagine. But Scratch isn't just a slick graphic coding language. It's a community. With over 43 million users, Scratch is the world's largest coding community for kids. Users can not only share their games, animations, and interactive stories, they can work collaboratively, sharing the coding, remixing each other's projects, to learn how to grow together. Like all things tech, it is constantly growing and gaining new functions. In 2019, they released Scratch 3.0, so that it can work on more browsers and different types of devices, like touchscreen tablets. They even have an experimental site looking at new ways Scratch might be used in the future for things like augmented reality. If you want to develop your own games, ask your grown-up to check out Scratch. We'll include links in the show notes and other resources to help you out at our website, RainbowBuppyScienceLab.com. Scratch is completely free because the goal of the lifelong kindergarten group at MIT is to, quote, provide all children from all backgrounds with opportunities to imagine, create, and collaborate so they can shape the world of tomorrow. But it's still today. And so now, Atticus, let's review what makes video games so cool. What are some of the elements we can add to our periodic table of awesome?
0: I think it's really cool that anyone can make their own video games, animations, and stories for free on Scratch.
1: I think that is kind of cool, like, when you can come up with your own stuff. I also think, like, getting back to Mario and everything, I always liked mario and zelda and actually zelda was also one of miyamoto's games but when you and i started playing mario odyssey i thought the coolest thing was that we could go all different directions it's not like you're forced into one story that the game developer created you can go your own path you can blaze your own trail you create your own story in the game
0: yeah Kind of the same thing with uh, Pokemon Scarlet. I know you don't play it, but like you can kind of go like you can choose to like do different stuff in a different order versus like what the game might like, you know, say like kind of the same thing. You can go on your own trail.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about this, what I am noticing is a common thread here. All we're talking about are tools whether it's games or programming languages they're tools that empower the users that let the user be sort of self-directed or choose what they want to do. Yes, yeah. I think that freedom of choice is a really awesome thing.
0: Yeah. Cuz not all games that have that unfortunately. Well,
1: and that's how it was for a long time. I mean, You know, the early games, they were really limited in what they could allow users to do. Yeah,
0: like in Donkey Kong, like really all you could do was jump and climb up ladders. That's kind of it. And you had to go in the levels in a certain order.
1: Yeah, but as it's developed, they found more and more ways to give people choices. And I I think that's really cool. So then what do you think is going to be... The next evolution. Let's look into the future. How? By combining the twin sciences of superstition and wishy thinking. Uh, Dad, that doesn't qualify as science. We have created this crystal ball that is guaranteed to sometimes tell the future almost as accurately as reading tea leaves. Dad, that's not accurate at all. I'm sure it's fine. Let's see. I know it's around here somewhere...
0: Um, Dad, that's a Nintendo Switch.
1: I'm sure that'll work just as well. Now, what do you see for the future to bring video games to the next level?
0: What if we started getting four D video games? Cause you know those four D movies were everything kind of seems to pop out of the screen imagine they make that but in video games so like when you walk in place the character walks so like it's motion controlled and then like you can feel what the character is feeling so like say you jumped in the water and you come out wet like you would feel wet or if you're or if you were walking in a desert you would feel super hot even though you're in like a cooled room
1: Interesting. So, not just like your movements trigger the game movements, but the game actually sort of triggers you and you get to feel what's happening in there. Like maybe yeah. you wear some sort of special bodysuit. That's cool. See, I'm thinking there, you know, everything's learning these days. Machines are learning. I bet they're going to figure out a way to sort of program the game to recognize your preferences maybe like you rate levels after you play them or whatever and it's gonna start to like generate new levels and expand the game based on what you're liking man
0: that 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 sounds because like i personally like more 3d stuff Mm -hmm. so like it might take out some of the 2d stuff for me you know versus you're more 2d so it might take out some of the 3D stuff and replace it with 2D stuff?
1: Yeah, like, imagine you're playing Mario Odyssey and you tell the game, like, oh, I really liked playing in this world. Then it hid more moons to make more puzzles and stuff so you can explore more of the areas that you like. Oh,
0: yeah. And then, yeah. So I'm like, game, I really, really like the Cascade Kingdom, yet there's no more moons. I need more moons in this world. And then it starts, and then it, like, clears up some of the the fog that you fall in, and it, like, uncovers more ground.
1: Yeah, and I could just be like, uh these 3d graphics are weird and scary to me. Cause I <laughs> grew up in the eighties. I need more like eight bit graphics. Give me the 2d worlds. And it would be like, I'm sorry. You're so old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, uh, now...
0: look.
1: <laughs> I guess time will tell if any of our predictions come true, but let's wrap up this episode with a little more reliable prognostication. That
0: means telling the
1: future. That's right. Let's give a little preview of next week's episode with another round of fact. Or fake. One is an absolutely amazing true fact, but the other is just silly, strange, and totally fake. So here's the first story. In 1928, Walt Disney created the world's first animation as he introduced Donald Duck in Steamboat Willie. Or...
0: Toy Story was the world's first movie made entirely using CGI or computer generated images. It was a huge hit, but when they tried to make the sequel, the computer assets were accidentally deleted and would have been lost forever if it weren't for a newborn baby.
1: There you have it, two totally terrific bits of trivia. Tune in to next week's A Small Wonders mini-episode on animation to find out which is fact...
0: ...and which is totally fake. Thanks for listening to our show.
1: Rainbow Puppy Science Lab is an airwave media podcast. It was written, produced, mixed, and edited by us, Atticus and Kyle. Background music and sound effects came courtesy of Pixabay. Today, we covered something that we love and wanted to learn more about, but what are you curious about? Ask your grown-up to head over to RainbowPuppyScienceLab.com to find some fun experiments and activities you can try.
0: While you're there, tell us what you like and what you're curious about. You might just hear it in a future episode.